It is a pleasure and honor to be here today and together study scriptures to know the will of God for our lives. Last Sunday, Pastor Roy showed us about the importance of understanding the church as the bride of Christ, and while this is an analogy, looking at the church in this way helps us to understand our, our union with the Lord and our relationship with Him. It was a tremendous message that I invite you to listen again on our website or through our Faith Life group. And today I would like to continue where he left last week and share with you the sermon that I have called The Body of Christ. The Body of Christ. Let me start by saying that in the New Testament there are at least 30 references and analogies to distinguish and define what we understand as the church. From this list, there are three analogies that I consider the most important and profound for the correct understanding of the church, and these are, number one, that the church is the bride of Christ, which Pastor Roy spoke to us last Sunday, number two, that the church is the body of Christ, what we are, what we are studying today, and number three, the building of God, the church is the building of God, a subject maybe for another sermon. But why is it important that we know about the church? Why is the church so important for us? How does this knowledge affect us? Well, in the first place, because if I have truly known Jesus Christ, the King and Messiah, then I will be forming part of His people, that in the New Testament has been revealed as the church that Jesus Christ said He will form and establish. In Matthew 16, verses 16 to 18, it says this, <clears throat> Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The confession of faith of Peter in this passage is the same confession of faith that we profess and that has moved us, moved us in a spiritual sense to a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. If you have read, uh, read any of the letters that Paul wrote, you will notice that except on rare occasions, Paul always wrote to a group of people. This reminds us that while God wants to speak to us in a personal level and grow in his relationship with us, God does not want us to be disassociated from his church. Jesus founded his church and you and I have to be a part of it. That is why it is so important that we understand the church as God has revealed it in the Bible, not based on our own ideas and assumptions. In this sense, the church is not a building. The church is not merely an institution. It's not a social or benevolent club. The church is not a business, my friend. The church is a community of people who have decided to put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow together the purpose that He has designed for them. On the other hand, the church emerges at this time as a community of people living in the world under the rule of another king, and according to the parameters, rules, and culture of another kingdom. You know that in the postmodern society where we live, individualism and frivolity reigns. In the kingdom of God, where we truly live, a sense of community and mutual help reigns. That is why we need to be a church. We need to understand the church as God has rebuilt it and, and actively engage in it. So let me share with you all the reasons why we need the church. Number one, because we have spiritual needs. If we want to understand the importance of attending and being part of the church, the best place to look is from the ones who started it all, the very first Christian church in Jerusalem. 
The first thing we learn about them is that all the believers devoted themselves, says the Bible, to this new lifestyle which is the church. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 40 to 42, it says, With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The meaning here of the verb devoted themselves in the original Greek is that they continued in faithful adherence to the newly formed community. This was not something that they did when they had nothing better to do. Rather, it was something that was a priority in their lives. So what did they devote themselves to? Well, Luke tells us that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These believers, they had a persistent desire for instruction. They had this hunger to learn more about their faith. Secondly, to fellowship. Fellowship was experiencing the process of teaching. And that is why it is so important that you participate regularly in one of our life groups, since these are the place where we have to dedicate ourselves to the Word as well as to enjoy and have fellowship. In its biblical sense, fellowship is much more than just spending time together. It implies the idea of partnership in the purposes of the church and in sharing its message and work. Thirdly, to the breaking of bread. Some scholars think that this expression means only the Lord's Supper, but it also includes the idea of sharing a meal in their homes. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. And this is for me the most important one. The emphasis here is on collective prayer. In the early church, prayer was clearly a high priority and an important part of their life together. Prayer was an integral part of their daily life. It kept them, it kept them uh, connected with the Lord of the church and was necessary to the work He had for them. This refers not only to individual prayer, but their corporate prayers as a community. In Acts, where there is much prayer, there is much activity of the Holy Spirit, and where there is much activity of the Holy Spirit, there is much prayer. We all have spiritual needs. We have spiritual needs like the need to be prayed for, encouraged, and cared for that can only happen in the context of the community of believers. Secondly, we need the church because we have physical needs. Another important need that everyone has that church can help with is physical needs. We have physical needs caused by sickness, for example, while doctors and Hospitals can help with much of that. They cannot take care of everything. There are some things that only God can fix. Luke tells us that the early church walked in the power of God performing miracles. In the book of Acts 2.43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And here's the thing. God, do God doesn't just want to give you a miracle. He wants you to perform a miracle for another person. Signs and wonders should still be normative, whatever the gospel is being shared. This is not something reserved for only a few, but for all believers. We see this later in the book of Acts, where when all the disciples who went out to share the gospel prayed for the people, and miracles happened. Other aspects of, of our physical needs involve food and clothing. Luke tells us that all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had in Acts 2.44. Their willingness to share everything they had showed the level of their unity and fellowship. Without a doubt, they were family. And finally, the church is so important because we have social needs. 
In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 46, it says, They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This passage teaches us that the worship of God was meant to be done in community, and not only as, as an individualistic spiritual act. The Bible, if you look at the Bible, the Bible starts with a family worshiping God, Adam and Eve, and closes with a family worshiping God, their redeemed church. Furthermore, they didn't just worship together once again, they ate together, it says, and they shared the meals with great joy and generosity. And notice that they enjoyed enjoyed each other's company with great joy. Look what happens when we do these things. Luke says in Acts 2, 47, that all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of, the, all the, of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When God's people come together and enjoy fellowship, praising God is the natural result. The true fellowship focuses on God and helps people to remember the good things He has done, which in turn causes praise. Such fresh and powerful community life will win the admiration of people outside the church. And people naturally want to be a part of something that is so en enriching and life-changing. Now, the second question that, I want, that I, I want you and me to ask ourselves is, why are we so important for the church? Why are we so important for the church? Now that we have understood which, why we need the church, we can think about why we are important to the church. Since the right idea of, of a church is a community, it makes sense to see in it uh, the place where I can work out my talents and gifts for the service of others. And when we speak of talents, gifts, or abilities, we're referring to functions that we must develop for the benefit of all. This is, why the this is what uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit teaches us through the Apostle Paul. That the church is like a body where each of us is a member that must carry out a certain function for the benefit of, of the whole body. The head of this body is Jesus Christ himself. It is he who directs and uses us so that the body continues advancing. In this sense, John Calvin used to call church the company of believers, making use of this military concept. We are all marching together following the orders of our Lord. In the Bible, in Romans 12, verses 3 to 5, Paul says the following, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has dis distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here Paul was writing to the believers in the multicultural city of Rome. This church was very peculiar since it was composed of believers who came from different cultures and nations. Within the church were two large groups, the Roman or Gentile believers and the Jewish believers who had recognized Jesus Christ as Messiah. Both groups seemed to be in constant dispute and it was difficult for them to get along and keep the unity. This was causing serious problems in the church, and for this reason Paul writes this letter to correct them and remind them that the church is not about everyone thinking like me, but rather that we all think like Jesus. He is the head after all, and, his, and as his body we walk together. Speaking to them about the function that each of them should carry out for the good of all, Paul was challenging them to look beyond personal appearances and preferences and recognize the potential of each member. 
Can I be honest with you? I am completely glad and grateful to God that we have such a multicultural and diverse church. It is a blessing to be able to learn from each other and thus bring the gospel to all the people of the city. In verse 5, Paul, Paul leads them to recognize the importance of, of each other. We need to realize that we all, we all form a single body. Here Paul is speaking of this connection and relationship that we have with, with each other and that we should enjoy. And there are other passages that help us to understand the church as the body of Christ. Passages like the one we have studied in Romans 12 teach us, teach us that in this body there are three elements that are extremely important for the body to remain healthy and active so that together we can reach the purpose by which we were called out from the world to form the church. And that purpose is the salvation of that very same world that we have left behind. Number one is love. At one point in his ministry, one Jewish religious leader approached Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit the eternal life. The Lord asked him what is, what is written in the law. And then the religious leader quoted Leviticus 19.18, which in another passage Jesus himself declared as the greatest commandment of all. And this is what, the, what happened in this conversation between Jesus and this religious leader. Matthew 22. Let's read it together. Matthew 22. It says, verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It is interesting to know the distinction Jesus made in this statement. If we look at this passage from the individual level, following our Western culture, we could say that the commandment deals with my level of personal love for God and my love for others, family, friend, or whoever I consider my neighbor. But if we look at this passage, this passage from the Jewish culture and perception, we will see it from a collective perspective. I invite you to have this look for a few, mo few minutes. If Jesus said that the first commandment is to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds, then this is exactly that, what we as a church should do. But Jesus also said that this commandment is accompanied, is, sorry, is accompanied by one more, to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. The passage in Luke 10 tells us that upon hearing the Jewish leader ask Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's important for us to understand that from the Jewish notion, notion the neighbor was exclusively another Jew, by which the person can have sympathy or friendship. Through one of the most beautiful parables of the Gospel, Jesus showed that the neighbor is not only that person with whom I get along, but anyone I have near, whoever is close to me. In other words, the world. The church is the place where everyone can find refuge and restoration. This tells us about the love we as a church should have for the lost world, but we often lose sight of something important. This commandment, like many others, is conditioned. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I would not be able to love the world if I do not love my body before, and the body of which I am I'm a member is the church. That is why it is necessary for God to awaken in me today a deep love for his church so that together we can reach the world. In many passages of the New Testament, we can see the importance of love for the growth and support of the body of Christ. I will mention one more passage in the next point, but let me first read to you what the Apostle Paul said about love in the church and how it should be practiced. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, verse, verses 20 to 27, it says, 
as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are, are unpresentable and treated with special modesty, well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that, are, that lack it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of this is how love should look like. My brother, we need each other. We need to treat each other with respect and honor. We need to care for each other and live in unity and understand that even though being many and different, we are all one. Second, second element of the body of Christ is unity. Notice how important the unity of the church is that Jesus himself, hours before going to the cross, prayed to the Father for our unity. In John 17, Jesus' prayer was this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you said, sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The Lord himself revealed to us in this passage what is the key so that the community around us can come to him and surrender to his feet. The key is our unity. In verse 23 he said that our complete unity will make the world know that God the Father sent Jesus so that the world can be saved. If you remember the events of Acts, Acts 2, the love and the unity of the church was for the world the most powerful testimony of the gospel. Finally, the last element on which the church rests is service. In the context of the church, mutual service is the norm. It's our culture. We have understood that the greatest satisfaction of a person is not in receiving but in giving. The church is the setting where we can serve other believers and serve the world through the preaching of the gospel. The development of the church in Acts chapter 2 teaches us that the church culture from its very beginning was service. The first believers decided to share everything they had with those who had lost everything. The times of prayer, studying the word, um, and fellowship were ways in which they were serving one another in order to grow in their faith in Jesus. The believers in Corinth and Rome, for example, had understood that, the, the, that their spiritual gifts and abilities were not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of other believers and the church in general. In this sense, the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians and reminds them that this service must be carried out in love. In Galatians 5.13, he said, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. They write it to the Hebrews, exhorts the believers to resume their service out of love for the church, not becoming lazy but fervent in their service to Jesus Christ and his body. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we decided each one of you to show the same earnest 
to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who true faith and patience inherit the promises. Without a doubt, service is the result of walking together in love and unity. So I invite you to take this moment to reflect and think about your relationship with the church. Perhaps you have a past with the church, something unresolved. Perhaps you have suffered and have been hurt by wanting, by wanting to get involved in the church. Sometimes we forget that the church is not perfect. Being composed of men and women who make mistakes and who have not yet reached maturity, many times as a church we are also mistaken. This does not mean that Jesus made a mistake in getting us together to form his church. On the contrary, our weaknesses and failures make his grace and mercy much more visible and recognizable. But the harsh reality is that you and I are also make mistakes. We also fail. No one is better than anyone. We all need each other and we need to walk in the love and forgiveness we owe each other. Today, God is calling us to come to Him and, re and reconcile with the church. Through the power of forgiveness, we can leave behind all bitterness and disenchantment with the church and its leaders and join the body of Christ as an active member who has been called from the world to impact alone with other believers the world. Can you accept this His call today? Can you say yes to the Lord today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for calling us from the world to join us in forming your church together. It is a privilege to be part of your body and to serve you out of love. Help us to leave behind the bitterness and all bad experience with, with your church. Help us to live in humility and love that we can, from today, serve each other and serve our community so that many others know you. Let love, unity, and service be the characteristics that people recognize when they look at us. Lord, awakens in us the desire to actively participate in the church, that as the church of the Book of Acts, we can grow in the knowledge of your word, in communion with each other, in obedience, and in prayer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.